Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hello and happy May to you. I cannot believe it is already here. The weather is changing, spring is in the air, and I am so excited. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am your host here on the Heal Podcast. And for the month of May, we're doing something a little bit different. So it is Women's Health Awareness Month. And I thought it would be fun to elevate women's voices. And so each episode this month is from a woman. Her episode might be about women's health or it might not. Each one is different. So you'll have to listen and see. But today's does have to do with something with women's health. And we have coming on the show, Josh and Allie Taylor, who are authors, speakers. They were stars in the TLC's TV show, Rattled. And they have quite the story from finding out Allie had an aggressive form of breast cancer at 24 years old when they were trying to have kids to then what that looks like with their fertility journey later and how they're actually doing today. I think you're going to be encouraged, uplifted by their exuberance, their love of the Lord, the pain they've endured, and the redemption through all of it. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Josh and Allie Taylor. All right. So first off, I'm going to try not to give away the ending of your story. We're going to see how that goes just because it's fun if people don't know it to take them along the journey and and feel it without knowing what's coming. But I thought I don't typically do this. We could do a little rapid fire game first for people to get to know you a little bit. So say the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready? Oh, man. Both of us at the same time. Or you can do one after the other, whichever works for you. This is really dangerous. <laughs> They're not bad things, so it should be okay. All right. One, favorite food? Crawfish. Crawfish. Oh, Louisiana. Okay. Yes, yes. Oh, I don't do seafood. All right. Favorite football team? LSU. See, you're not doing it fast. It's supposed to be rapid. But they're retired. <laughs> That's okay. First thing that comes to my brain is Colts because of Peyton Manning, but that was it. So, yeah. Well, bad. that's supposed to be your first thing, right? Yeah, that's great. Oh, too much. <laughs> He's stressed over answering correctly. Favorite worship song? My first one that came to my mind was This Is How I Fight My Battles, but I don't know if it's not really my favorite, but I do like that. Mm, that's a good one. Can we play them and I'll tell you which one I like? So, when you always play in your car that the girls like so much. I don't know the names of them. I don't know the names of praise and worship songs. I promise the rest of the interview won't be this hard. Raise hallelujah. How about that? Okay, that's good. (laughs) All right. Country or rock? I'm going to give you options now. Country. Country. Okay, what's your worst dad joke, Josh? I don't know if it's a dad joke, but the one I say to my guys all the time that I think is really funny is I'm busier than a one-armed man in a paper hanging contest, or it's more useful than a pocket on a t-shirt. It's more useful than a pocket on a t-shirt. Are those like Josh isms, or have you gotten those somewhere? No, 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 no. I, those are those are those are stolen. Okay. I have original stuff, but that's not any of them. Okay. <laughs> All right. Board game or card game? Card. Board. 
Okay. Mountains or beach? Mountains. Beach. <laughs> okay. The beach. Favorite Bible character? Esther. David. Okay. And last one. Night out or night in? Night in. Out. <laughs> it's good to see that you're different. My husband and I can be very different as well. Very different. Well, do you, are you near mountains? You're not near mountains or beach, are you? Beach. We're we're closer to the beach, so we're about six hours from the beach. So okay, it, Memorial Day every year we go with my mom's family or my, my mom's side of the family. Okay, well, that's fun. Okay, maybe talking about your life is going to be a little bit easier because <laughs> you're used to that. We'll see. So less on the spot, but let's just jump into your story a little bit. So, how many books have you written? Three. Three. So, Allie's Fight is that the most recent one? Yes, that is the most recent. So we wrote, I wrote my first one, How Cancer Made Me a Mommy, when we were adopting our first daughter. So we did that more as a fundraiser. Mm -hmm. I say as a fundraiser. It was just, we were trying to think, how can we fund this adoption? Mm -hmm. And so Josh and I prayed about it. We both felt like God was saying, just tell your story. Like, I'm going to take care of it. Keep telling your story. Mm -hmm. I mean, we funded probably 75% of it through the sale of our books, which was amazing. And then Josh wrote, How My Wife's Cancer Healed Me. Mm -hmm as a way to fund our second adoption. And then the Ally Spike book came after our TV show. Okay. So that was kind of the way it came. The first two, we just did self-published on Amazon. And our last one we did through a publishing company. Yeah. So I told you, Ally Spike is one I've read. I haven't read the other two, but mm -hmm. you have quite the story to share. So Ali, will you take us through, I mean, you were wanting to have kids and ended up discovering breast cancer instead, what happened from there and what stage was it and all of that? Yes. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't doing regular self exams. I was 24 when I was diagnosed. So a lot of people are like, how even think, you know, to check. It wasn't like I did regular self exams, but we were start, we had just started a PhD program and Josh and I felt like it would be, I don't know why we felt like this would be a good time to have kids. But <laughs> we just said, okay, let's start trying. And through the process, I thought I was pregnant and I was Googling and I was like, what are symptoms of pregnancy? And um, one of them said sore breasts. And so I was just one day, I was like, well, I wonder if I'm pregnant. So, you know, you go through all the symptoms and through that process of just trying to see if my breasts were sore is how I found the lump. To kind of make a long story short, yes, we found out I had breast cancer in the middle of trying to have a baby and were immediately referred to MD Anderson in Houston, Texas. And of course, we're very hopeful that it was something small and easy. And it was the exact opposite of that. I quickly became kind of the popular patient at MD Anderson. I was 24, had this super aggressive type cancer. My cancer was called triple negative stage three breast cancer. Invasive ductal carcinoma is the, I guess, technical term of it. It had spread to my lymph nodes, which we were hoping it was very contained and easy. So very quickly, we learned things were really, really serious. Yeah. So did fear play a role in this? I know as you go through it, especially Josh, I think you have a huge journey of prayer in this, which I love, but it seems like you have a lot of faith, a really good community, but there had to have been some fear in there as well, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was 10 years ago, 11, some 36. Yeah. And I, I think looking back, it was a different kind of fear because at 26, you only understand so much. Mm -hmm. At 36, it's probably because we've gone through it. But like when Allie was diagnosed, the older people in our life, anybody 35 and up responded very seriously. Mm -hmm. They're the ones when we look back that were willing to put things on the line to help us that seemed odd to us. Mm -hmm. and now looking back, it could show you how serious they knew it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
as a 26, 27 year old, I only knew it was serious because it was cancer Mm -hmm. and the fear of losing Allie or the fear of like the pain she would go through, the fear of all that. At our age now, we would know we had 25 year olds respond to us like as friends. Uh, We can't what's happening. We can't whatever. Mm -hmm. But they were doing what they understood it to be, too. Yeah. 40 and 50 year olds and 60 year olds, they're the ones that stepped in and changed the score for us as far as be it money or things that helped us get by. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I would say is the different kinds of fear. Ours was survival. If you've had three friends go through breast cancer, the fear is going to be different. Yeah. Well, Allie, you had some friends at some point, right? I did. My main kind of mentor through it, she had had leukemia twice and she was a huge lifeline. And actually her husband was also a huge lifeline to Josh just from a husband's standpoint. But one of the really difficult things for me was I did have three other people that had gone through it before me, but they all ended up passing away. Mm -hmm. So it was a two-sided coin or something. What do you say? Josh laughs at my uh, things I say that are incorrect. (laughs) On one hand, it was great that they were able to help me. But then it was, it brought in fear because those same women that helped me, you know, one came over after she had her mastectomy and showed me her scars. Another one had advised me about when to shave my head. Another one just checking in with me and to watch them slowly pass away was really difficult because they had been really great lifelines to me, but then they passed. Yeah. Well, and you had some kind of gatekeeping. And I don't know if Josh, like you kind of developed this as time went on. I feel like you were a gatekeeper, not letting some really negative things come towards Allie. But then Allie, you just had this like crazy optimistic faith, at least at the beginning, you know, like God's going to heal me. I believe it. I don't even know if I ever had that faith. I mean, was that natural? Was that result of your faith up to that point? How did you respond in that way? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it was totally the Lord. I mean, I think a lot of it was naivety, just not knowing what to expect. Like Josh said, like, you know, you're 24, you're cancer, it's scary. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, I hear people that have breast cancer and they're doing okay, you know. But then as I learned the severity of my cancer, obviously a lot more fear came in. But it was, I mean, I always say like, I was just protected and like a Holy Spirit bubble. When I look back at my faith, I'm like, how was I not just up at night, just totally fearing the worst? And of course I had those days, but my fear more came in after I was cancer free, which was a huge surprise mm-hmm. to me. Cause I always thought once I'm cancer free, you know, life's great. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And I had so much fear because of my recurrence rate statistics and things, but yeah, I was, I was pretty faith filled. I mean, I wish I, I want to say there were times I was, and I was scared, but I just believed from the beginning. And I just believed that was something that the Lord just gave me to help me through it. Like this journey is going to be hard, but I'm going to be healed at the end of it. And I just had to keep that in my sight Mm -hmm. to know this is going to be hard, but it's going to be okay. But were there some practical things? I don't know if I was telling you, I read your book a few months ago now, but maybe like the opening scene where you're at a bookstore and it's just like, I don't want to read these things of either self-help or someone passing away. So there was a some level of, were you staying in the word and you weren't putting some bad things in your mind too? Exactly. So no, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So when I was first diagnosed, you know, what do most people say, go get a book, go read something. And it was like, and I know that there are books out there that 
would be helpful. But all the ones I saw on my particular type of cancer or self-help was still discouraging or would be something encouraging and then read the next sentence that would bring fear in. And so I was just like, I'm not reading books. I'm just reading scripture. I'm going to speak scripture over me. I had 40 healing scriptures that I read each day Mm -hmm. that just kept me focused on believing that God was healing me. And just, I mean, we even told our doctors, like we didn't want to know statistics. You know, if we need to know something to make a decision, let us know. But other than that, don't want to just know statistics for statistics sake, especially with my type of cancer. It it wasn't good. I mean, most of the time was not some great number you'd be excited about. Yeah. I'm sure they don't hear that often either. Right. Right. Most people would want to know. And uh, and a couple of times they would slip and say something. And those words are like forever ingrained in my mind. Mm -hmm. You you can't ever get those out. But anyway, so yeah, I, I was very intentional on that. And like you said, Josh, when people would come up to me and tell me stories with good intention, but oftentimes times of someone I knew that passed or had a really hard time with chemo or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, those would be the times that fear would come in. And so Josh definitely took the role of trying to <laughs> judge when somebody was coming up to talk to me or they come in to encourage or they come in to tell a story that in the car later I would bring up and be fearful about and say, well, this person didn't do chemotherapy and they did good and they were on this and it made them sick. And now I'm questioning the decisions I've made, you know, felt like the Holy Spirit led us to the whole time. But then when you hear someone else's experience, Mm -hmm. it can make you question that. So yeah, he was a huge help and kind of gatekeeping for sure. Yeah. Josh, was that developed over the course? Is that something you kind of learned as you went? Or just that protective? No, that's probably just in me. I don't know. I think my parents would say, like, I I love the underdogs. I'm empathetic. I probably am going to go too extreme. Because there are a bunch of times people probably weren't about to say anything crazy, but I stopped them anyway. And I'm that way. So I'm probably more sensitive than Allie. I probably take things more personal. So all those things probably just, I'm I'm probably a little wired that way just naturally. So then when you want to protect your wife. Mm Mm-hmm. I would hear the first part of a story and I I would just know like, this is bad. This is, <laughs> and I, and you just, you just kind of step in and say something else and get them distracted. And yeah. And most people I think caught on to what you were trying to do. Like they're like, Ooh, I'm about to tell them that my mother just died. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not the thing they're wanting to hear right now. Yeah. Most of the time it's not like they fight through to tell you their bad news. Yeah. yeah I would say it. I don't think I had to work on it. I probably was too protective at times. I bet. Mm-hmm. But he probably heard more of the stories, you know, we kind of, he kind of tried to redirect people to him, you know, which sometimes make me feel bad. Cause I knew he was hearing so many fearful things that probably I wasn't. Yeah anyways, that you had to probably process through that I never had to hear, but I was thankful for. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just think a lot of people listening, some people, depending on their personality, might not even realize that this is okay, either to defend themselves or to have someone defend them and say, you know what? Like, I really appreciate it. Like, I'm so glad you can relate to me, but you know, I'm trying to guard my mind or I don't know how you say that in a, a kind way. Because some people might be offended, but I think you have that right to defend your sanity too. Mm -hmm. Well, I think when you use stuff like obviously biblical things, I'm trying to guard my mind or like if somebody just really comes on, I think you, I mean, if you look at somebody and say, in case whatever you're about to tell me is a bad ending, I really don't need to hear it right now. I'm scared. I'm scared. I want to be positive and believe God's going to heal me. But like, we're scared right now. We're in the middle of this thing. We're not that. Well, that's hard to take that wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. They didn't tell me, they didn't tell me my story doesn't matter. They didn't say, I think you can be heard when you say that they obviously there, I I didn't always do it good. I'll say that. Yeah. 
Well, and before we started, I mentioned to you guys that I was reading reviews and some people were upset a little bit They in the first part of your book because it is so blatant, mm-hmm. I believe I will be healed. And it, it can almost seem like the name it and claim it gospel or the blab it and grab it, as my small group leader used to say. Uh-huh. But I was defensive of you because if you keep reading the book, that's not true. And I mean, I could read a quote here, but I mean, Ali, you talk about, I found myself trying to control Right. If you're just saying, well, if it's based on my faith, then you're saying you're God. Right. So how did you balance? You did have this awesome faith that some people can't even get themselves to have that faith, but also God is actually in control. Right. Well, it wasn't my faith that was going to heal me. Right. I mean, it was God. I mean, God's the healer, but a lot of his promises are conditional. And I wanted to at least know I was doing my part. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I know we talked earlier before the podcast was recorded of just the different ways that God heals, you know, and being open to all of that. But I wanted to make sure I did my part of, okay, God, I'm going to believe, you know, and it's, it's like the scripture in Matthew that says, I believe Lord help my unbelief. Yes. And it's like, God, I had so many moments of disbelief or fear. It's not like I just was missed. I'm going to be healed and, you know, have the confidence all the time. But I wanted the things that came out of my mouth to be that, you know, Mm -hmm. scripture says faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so I kind of took that literally, like, I'm going to speak the word of God out loud because that's going to give me faith. Like, you know, faith comes by hearing. And Mm -hmm. so I did as much as I could do, but it wasn't reliant on me. I was doing what I needed to do to build up my own faith, not because what I was doing was going to heal me. Mm -hmm. So yes, it was a balance uh, because you're right. I don't think, you know, me just saying I'm going to be healed, heals me, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's totally the Lord and totally his plan, but I did want to make sure that I was obeying scripture as much as, as much as I could Mm -hmm. to allow God to heal me in whatever way he saw fit. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys, and this is me processing. This is something I'm currently working through, but I have, you know, try to process in public a little bit and hopefully people listening have grace. But I have really been thinking about prayer because I do believe we should pray for healing for people. You know, you have the laying on of hands and all of that. But I have been talking with the lady who disciples me about when you pray, the wording you use, because I think sometimes we're like, well, Lord, I pray for Allie to be healed. In Jesus' name, she will be healed, blah, blah, blah. And in some ways, it's like you're not doubting healing. And we should pray like that. And then I have fallen back on well, Lord, if it's your will, because I I want to pray according to your will. But now I'm like on the pendulum, like, well, but is that not faith? But do people listening understand that you can pray with all of that audacity? And it doesn't mean God has to answer because I think that's where a lot of people have been really hurt. So what are your thoughts on that prayer? I think you've experienced that kind of prayer. Yeah. You know, that's hard because I sometimes do those mind games too, you know, where you start questioning like, okay, God, like, do I just need to pray your will and not really pray for what I want? You know, cause I'm like, if I really want your will, why am I going to tell you what I want? You know, yeah. I remember he's our father and like, he wants to hear my heart and he wants me to talk to him and I can ask him all these things, but with the overarching theme of in your will, you know? And so I think some Sometimes if we are too critical of what we're praying and what we're saying, then we lose the, I guess, authenticity of our relationship with God when we're trying to, to do it. So I guess structurally, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I thought that too, sometimes I'm like, well, why am I praying for this? If, you know, if God says that he's a healer, like, why do I even have to pray to be healed? Like he's a healer, That's what he does. But then you see people that aren't healed and then you get confused and all those things. And it's like, okay, Allie 
you're not God. You're not supposed to understand it all. You're just supposed to talk to him, tell him what you need, but also trust in his sovereignty, but also pour out my heart to him. So I know that's not just the the perfect answer, but I guess it's just for me personally, always being honest with him. And through this journey, I had to say some really I guess, hard things to God that I wouldn't have ever thought, like as far as just being angry, um, and not necessarily at him, but at the situation. Mm-hmm. I think growing up, I never felt like I could be like, God, I'm mad. And why is this happening? Like, I would just feel like that would be horrible to say to God, you know, and it's like, God just wants to hear from us. He wants to hear our heart. And like, it's okay to, to say those things and to say your fears and to be mad or not feel like I want to talk to you right now, God. But in the end, you know, it's like, I think of David, or I think of the Psalms, you know, he says some crazy stuff, like, why have you abandoned me, God? And why, have, you know, some really hurtful things. Mm-hmm. But he Which, always- by the way, Jesus quotes on the cross. Right, right, right exactly. Yeah. And it's like, but that's what God wants from us. I mean, he said David was a man after his own heart. Like, mm-hmm. God wants to hear our, our pain and our fears and all those things that sometimes we're scared to say. But David always comes back and says, but I trust you. I trust in your unfailing love. And so it's, I guess for me, it's, I can pray and ask for all these things and be fearful. But at the end, God, I want what you want. Yeah. I don't know if I really answered your question, but it's super complex. Yeah, it it is. I can say for me, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have discussions about how we pray and how you word it and whatever. I don't have any doubts as to how I talk to my dad when I'm in need, like none. I don't need you telling me that. I don't need anybody to tell me that. I can make that phone call. Like I got, I don't need you to describe, I don't need anybody making rules Mm -hmm. for what that relationship looks like. So therefore the tone of my request to my earthly dad Mm -hmm. is always in line because I love him. I respect him. I know what he's done, that he's for me, that he's whatever. When somebody gets too deep into worried about how they're phrasing something to God, like the creator, Mm -hmm. he's clearly for you. He's, he's like wildly in love with us. At some point I would, I would go back and say like, if I put those kind of parameters on it, I'm afraid he doesn't, I'm not going to say my heart as much. Mm Mm-hmm is what I would really say. Like at times when I hear guys like muddling, there's one guy in particular I know that I would literally, if I had the opportunity, I would look and say, you need to stop. You don't have to come up with a new definition of God. Like that's been done. That's good. Mm -hmm. You just need to fall on your face and let the Holy Spirit reveal more of that to you. But I I do. I really do think if we're not careful, we try and make it too much like, nope, this is what it is. This is what it isn't. This is how I'm going to do it. Like, I don't even do that with my own dad. Like, I don't even do that with my earthly father. Mm-hmm. And so what I would argue is like, once somebody has a clear understanding of what God, who God is, how much he's for us. Yeah. I don't think I have to tell them. I think our generation in particular, I'm 36, Al's 34. 33. Three. 33. <laughs> you know, like our generation and down, I think, especially churched kids, I think are in real trouble of trying to make God something. There's elements of that I don't think we can wrap our head around, frankly. And that comes out in how I pray. That comes out in how I address him. Maybe then it needs to be less concerned about how we're praying and maybe addressing our own hearts and not being judgmental towards hearing other people pray. Right, exactly. Yeah. And not getting offended by if they're doing the phrasing we don't like. Right. <laughs> yeah, because frankly, and I don't, obviously, we want to make disciples and if somebody's like misled, we want to try and help. But the reality is I'm not going to be asked about your, you know, like when when the time comes, like I got to know God. I, I'm, that's what I'm going to be asked about. Me and Allie and the girls, in the end, how you prayed to start off this podcast, I frankly will not be <laughs> put on the hook about your understanding about Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
and how you guys live your life, I care about. But it's not my responsibility to get in the weeds of what you said out loud versus not knowing what's in your heart. Yeah. I do think we're get, we we have a little a Christian culture of that of like I'm supposed to put guardrails up of that, and I think that's a that could be sticky. That's a yeah. That's not me being like a new age, accept everything and accept everybody. I'm actually much the other way. I think it can get a little fuzzy there. Yeah, that's good. I really enjoyed that. And I have been wondering. So hopefully that was helpful for people too. Let's go back to the story a little bit. So uh, I love these talks, but I know people care about what actually happened to you as well. So what were your treatments and how did that progress? So I went through 16 rounds of chemotherapy that lasted six months. And then after that, I did a bilateral mastectomy. Both of my breasts were removed and all of my lymph nodes in my left arm were removed. And then after that, I had six weeks of radiation, which was 30 radiation treatments. And then after that, had several reconstructive surgeries. So all in all, it was about two years till everything or a year and a half till everything was completed as far as like being done with surgeries, treatments and, and all of that. And you still went ahead with your PhD, right? I did. Yes. What motivated that? <laughs> well, amidst all that. I think I wanted life, which I know sounds silly, to be as normal as possible, which we were, we went to Houston every week. So it's about six hours from where we live to Houston. So every Friday we would drive to Houston and stay for the weekend pretty much and then come back home. And so when we were home, me sitting at home, not doing anything was probably the worst thing I could have done. Just my mind racing and where fear came in. And so actually continuing on with my PhD, going to class, that normalcy really, really helped me. So it wasn't for me to be like this hero or prove that I could do it. It was just like, why would I not do it if I can do it? My professors were great, allowed me to turn in things, being away in Texas and all. But yeah, I'm so glad I, I finished and went through with it. Yeah. Allie, you're a counselor now, right? Yes, I'm a professor for Liberty University adjunct. So yes, I'm a counselor, but currently I just teach online. That's pretty cool. Okay, so wasn't most of your pain and awful stuff like in the reconstruction process? When you started really having this horrible pain, at one point you were like, I don't want to live anymore. Or did that come after? When was that? No, that was, that was actually after reconstruction, after all of my surgeries, that was, I started having headaches. Like, so I went through this period of time. So when I was deemed cancer free, which was April 30th of 2012, you know, like I said, I thought life would be great and wonderful and get back to normal. And basically when I was told I was cancer free, it was a great moment, but the type of cancer I had, had a really high likelihood of recurring within the first two years. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you're great. Everything's good. But If you have anything, let us know. If you have a headache, if you have a stomach ache, if you have pretty much any normal ailment to be worried that it was cancer. And so that was like a prison for me for those first two years. And so as much as I tried to not think, oh gosh, what's this happening? I remember the first thing was like a leg pain. And like, I remember calling my doctor so concerned and she was like, do we need to have a bone scan? You know, what do we need? So everything resulted in a scan. And so there was a time that I had headaches and I had a headache every day for about six months and they were like debilitating headaches. I went to acupuncturist, had two brain MRIs. I mean, Mm. so that in the book, when I talk about that, I had reached a place. One, I was in so much physical pain, waking up with a horror. I mean, like my head was like being pressed so hard every day. 
that I thought, is this going to be my life forever? If I'm, am I going to have a headache for the rest of my life? And then two, just concerned that the cancer was coming back. So it was that fear plus pain combination. And so, yes, there was a moment where I didn't want to do anything, didn't want to get out of bed. And I just told Josh, I said, I'm not saying that I'm go. I have like a suicide plan or anything. All I'm letting you know is I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. And I, as you said, I'm a, a very positive person. I'm typically a glass half full. So I think when I said that to him, he realized the severity of what I was going through physically and emotionally, spiritually, which is when he kind of staged what we now say was like an intervention, which I needed it with those two friends I mentioned earlier, the lady who had had Luna and her husband. Mm-hmm. And so we went over to their house that night and basically just kind of hashed out all my fears talked through kind of worst case scenario. And I remember him asking me that night and it was so powerful him saying, Allie, what is your biggest fear? And me saying like, my biggest fear is dying. And I said, and not that I'm going to die. I said, but just having my friends and family go through pain, like, cause I've, I've watched them go through this pain with me for the last two years. And like, gosh, we're going to go through all this stuff. And then at the end, I'm going to die, like, and then leave them. And not that they're going to miss me, but just all the pain that we've walked through together and that be the end story. And so I think just sat out loud, I had never said that out loud that brought healing, you know, obviously when darkness is brought to light, there's healing and freedom. And so that conversation Mm -hmm. and kind of making myself do things, process things and not just stay so holed up in my problem, which was every morning, my head being so in pain and then the fear and it just being kind of a crazy cycle. Yeah. And I read recently behind every stronghold is a lie that's holding it together. Mm, that's I was like, I, and so I started trying to ask myself, okay, well, if this is a stronghold or something I can't get over, what's the lie that's a knot tying this together? Mm-hmm. But sometimes we don't even know what it is, like what you're saying. Yeah. Because in, in that moment, I thought there's no lie. Like my head is in so much pain and the doctors have told me if I have any like crazy headache, like mm-hmm. it could be cancer and I need to go get it checked out. And so it was that constant thing of like, I'm not being crazy. Like I'm, <laughs> this is real, you know? And it was, it was that thing of every time I felt a pain, I wanted to go get a scan mm-hmm. and then you felt crazy for getting a scan, but the scan was the only thing that would bring me peace. And so it was just this constant, ugh, in my mind, you know, and then thankfully there was a a day that I woke up that I do believe God healed me from headaches. I woke up and didn't have a headache and I was almost scared to like, (laughs) be like, do I really not have a headache? Yeah. And I, and I didn't anymore and just gradually got better. And so that was, that was the end of a long battle. And I may not be, Allie may say this wasn't as big a part. I do think the other thing is when that's, when that kind of thing has happened, so you go through cancer and obviously I'm the husband. So at some point when they tell Allie she's cancer free and we're, we're done with surgeries and whatever, you kind of have been waiting for this moment for life to kind of go back, not normal, but like you step back into life. Cause we literally stopped. I will say that it was great to be our age. Cause we put life on, mm-hmm. except for Allie getting a PhD, of course, <laughs> we put life on hold to some degree. I think that would, I don't know if Allie would say that, but that would be a pressure is that she's seeing me trying to kind of get back in life, but yet she still feels as in cancer as ever. Like like, obviously the more we get away from it, and even the more I hear her talk about it, I'm like, I think it was thicker Mm -hmm. after she was free Mm -hmm. before, like in the middle of it, we're all just fighting and you, Mm -hmm. you just, it's very much right Mm -hmm. in your face where you're all at. Everybody kind of lets the pressure off our parents, our friends, Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, and there's Allie still at our house waking up with a headache, Mm -hmm. you know, 
rest of us are kind of ticking on. Mm-hmm. And so I can't, I'm assuming in that moment, it was the further we get, you know, I, I pictured obviously as even more brutal than, mm-hmm. than I, than I could have known it was then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would each of you say? Cause you have perspective of the spouse and then the person going through it. What would each of you say to someone who's in a very similar place with whether that's the fear or they're just have had this chronic condition and they're just like, I, I don't want to live right now. What would be your thoughts for them? This is very short, whatever that is. And we've, it's been alleys. I've had tough stuff. Wait, a, take an hour, take three hours, take a day to like, like, Tomorrow, sun's coming back up. I think it even some some of you alluded to earlier made me think about it, but I forgot what it was. We just catastrophize everything. This is going to be my life forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is this moment, this one hellish moment is about, that's how life is forever. Whether it's me as a builder, Allie as a mom, cancer, a swimmer that can't swim anymore. Like mm-hmm. I forever will never get back in the water. Like in that moment, I don't, I obviously I don't know, but it, I would think, well, even like for me, I love I love running and wanted to do triathlons, and all of a sudden my hip and knee started hurting. I'm like, I'm 34 years old. I'm done. Like I can't. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'll never run again. I'm doomed. I'm mm-hmm. you know a construction worker that's going to be overweight for the rest of my life. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, but it's what, crazy what your mind goes to, you know. I think that's what I would tell somebody, and if and we've told people is this is a most likely this is a moment. Now that doesn't mean tomorrow's not your shoulder's not going to hurt or that Allie's not going to have a headache or be fearful. But like this moment, most likely very short. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would, I would piggyback on that to say like just one day at a time, you know, one moment at a time. And even through my cancer journey, you know, when I thought about like the rest of my life, like I, I just went for my nine year checkup and I asked the doctor, then I'm like, well, when do I need to come back? In my mind, I thought like 10 years would be like, you don't need to come back anymore. And he was like, I mean, you probably need to come back every year, you know, like, and not like, not because of my condition, but it's like, you're just like, I'm forever stamped. Like cancer has a stamp on my life forever, you know, whether if I want it to be or not, and I'm not defined by that, but it's a huge piece of my life. And when, so when I look at it long-term and like, it's like, it feels like suffocating, you know, you feel like, oh my gosh, this is going to be forever. But it's like, I can't do that. It's one day at a time, one moment at a time. You know, Jesus tells us my grace is sufficient today. You know, don't worry about tomorrow. I've got you today. And just always having hope, you know, not losing hope. I think, you know, we're living in a society and culture that's just everything is so down and horrible, even like 2020, you know, mm-hmm. how horrible 2020 was. And yes, there were so many horrible pieces about it, but that's, it also, kind of is a little thing that aggravates me that I'm thinking, why are we focusing on so many bad things? You know, like there is hope, you know, let's talk about the good things. Let's not mm-hmm. focus on the bad things. So I would say never lose hope. Things can get better. You know, we're nine years out from cancer. And if someone would have told us my life would look like it did today, I would have gotten through anything anyways. So I think it's just one day at a time and knowing like the future is good. <laughs> just stay focused on the future, knowing it, but then also one day at a time getting through whatever the hard thing is that, that you're going through. Yeah. And that's really good what you said. And just that it really is so temporary. I mean, that's biblical. It just doesn't seem like that, right. but I want to jump into I don't know if it's the other half of your story, a big part of the story, which is, you know, the treatments and stuff. They said that you were 
going to be infertile and all of that. And I think scripture is really powerful. So I pulled these two from your book and I want to read them for people because so Ali, you said before that you were a barren woman from Isaiah 51, four, which says sing barren woman, you who never bore a child burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. But then Josh, you talk about Psalm 128 which is your wife will be a fruitful grapevine. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And I loved those two verses because I feel like God resurrected them both, used them both. So what was your journey with infertility and beyond? Okay, I'll try to <laughs> give the um, short version. So yeah, Psalm 128 was a scripture we clung to from the beginning. Right before we started chemotherapy, our doctor had told us the type that they would have to give me had a really high likelihood of affecting my fertility. So she had wanted to preserve my eggs before we started chemo, but because my cancer had spread and was spreading really quickly, we didn't have time to preserve it. So we didn't. We just believed Psalm 128, that verse that, you know, I would be like a fruitful grapevine, whatever that meant for us, that we would have children, that our that our home would be filled with children, which we, you know, always wanted to be parents. I think one caveat I'd say, and I think you hit on, you said something about a spiritual mentor earlier, is we may have heard that verse before, but that verse was given to us by two people that had walked it out. Mm-hmm. You know, so not only is it that you're like we believe the Bible, but we were given a verse by spiritual mentors who had clung to a verse and it had been life to them. She had been healed. They had children. It was like, obviously it was real to us and it was a life raft, but also adrenaline at times. But because not only we believe the Bible, but we had seen somebody else walk it out and believe on it. And so for us, it was more, it was already more than a verse when we took hold of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, after treatment, we had to wait a few years for me to be cancer-free to even try. And we, yes, we went and saw a fertility doctor, went through IVF, which was unsuccessful. And he was able to look at my eggs like under a microscope and said that I didn't have very many left, but any of the ones he could see were really damaged. And the only way that I could get pregnant was through an egg donor. Mm -hmm. And so we prayed about that, really didn't feel peace about that option, but immediately started feeling drawn to adoption. I don't know if you want me to go into each of our girls' stories or... <laughs> Which one One thing I would say is we, uh, and I, this is the quiet stuff people don't get to know about, is like when we were in the middle of that, we got to a certain part in there where the doctor in essence called us. I remember we're driving back from Jackson and he said, if I were you, I think I would stop right now and save this, you know, because sometimes you pay in segments. And so then when you go into the next part, you would pay more money, you know. For IVF is what he's talking about. And so... What we said, I remember we got off the phone and you kind of almost got mad because with cancer, we didn't have any control when we stopped. Like we just had to kind of go and hope the deal with that process of trying to get pregnant. We could walk that all the way out. No matter what a doctor told us, we can walk this puppy out to the very end. If it works, it works, but we can put it to bed knowing we finished that step. If we get pregnant, thank you, Jesus. If not, we're going to believe that at the end of that, there'll be something clear for us. Mm -hmm. And whatever the next step is, we'll be good with it, more good with it, because we will know we had walked it all the way out. Yeah. Yeah. So after after we went through IVF and found out that that it wasn't possible, we both were like, okay, God, we went that track. Where else do you want to guide us? And not because we wanted to do that first. It was just like, okay, did God protect my womb? Like we, we prayed and mm-hmm. believed that he would, and we don't want to just jump to something else without seeing if, if it first, you know, if that actually happened. And so after we learned that 
well, we thought it didn't, which is so cool how God's plan, you know, brought us to adoption, which was the best decision we've ever made. Yeah. And when did the whole rattled TLC that happened in the midst of your first adoption? No, it happened. So we adopted our first daughter in March of 2015. Then I got pregnant nine months after she was born. And then we learned that the birth mom from our first daughter was pregnant again. And we were just three weeks apart in our due date. And so we were going to adopt that baby as well. Mm-hmm. And so I was... This is in January. Yeah. So we found out Allie was pregnant in December, find out birth mom was pregnant in January, and nothing happened with TLC until late May. April and May. Yeah, and- May, we got a call from New York that had got word of our story and basically just said, would you guys want to be on a TV show? We were like, no, we don't want to. <laughs> but then once we heard everything, they came down and met with us and had dinner and kind of talked about the concept of the show and that we'd be able to document like such a cool part of our life and hopefully bring hope to so many people. We said, let's do it. Yeah. Well, and then both adoptions, the mom kind of reneged a little bit and then... It was a very emotional thing. Did that happen both of them? Yeah, both times were really, really hard. Both times were obviously having to make that decision after you just have a baby and knowing she knew from the beginning that she chose us and that that was the right decision, but just going through the emotions of what should I do? But but both times God was was so real and so good to all of us where it, at the end, you know, when she kind of had to make a final decision, she knew. God gave her that peace. And, and both of those stories are long stories in and of itself Yeah, that, that we were the parents. Yes, those were the two hardest things we've ever been through. And no pressure. There's just a film crew here. Right. So react well. <laughs> right. Well, and the, and the good thing was we were very clear with the film crew when they had first came to us. You know, we're very private with our girl's birth mom and their stories, their birth stories and everything. And so we said, you know, obviously we want to share that we're adopting a baby. We want to share that I'm pregnant, but this piece of the story, we want to be as private. So they, they were not involved. The film crew wasn't involved with anything with our birth mom, with adoption stuff. They were more like when we would come back from the hospital, we would like give them updates and things like that. So they were very respectful with our wishes there. Cause we said like, we will not do the show if that's not respected. Yeah. So now you have three girls. Three girls, yes. And what was the news that you told me before we hit record? (laughs) Yes, and we have one on the way through my body. We're not adopting one at this time. (laughs) I mean, I I think I can't imagine ever having another child. But um, she said that she said that at every. I know I've said that at every stage. The girls were asking me this morning. They're like, "Mama, did you want another baby?" I said, "Well, baby, something I didn't want one or that I wanted one." I said, "Just God's giving us one. Like this is just you know part of His story." But yes, we found out in January of this year that I'm pregnant, and it was not something that we had planned, which none of our, I don't feel like anything's ever just been planned for us, but apparently this baby's supposed to be in our family. So I'm due in September. We don't, we find out, well, we'll find out March 30th what we're having. Okay. So I'm going to air this in May. Will you announce it on social media? Yes. Yes, we will. Okay. Yes. And I'll, I'll give an update on what gender you're having and all we air the show. Yeah. One thing I thought was really fascinating. It was either Ali's father or Josh's father, I'm not sure, who like kept praying for you, right. your fertility. Like even when you basically had given up, you're like, I'm really content with adoption. What role did he play or like other people's prayer play in this? Well, a lot. I remember even after we went through IVF and like, I'm like, not that I don't believe you, but 
like a doctor just looked at us and said, like, this is not going to happen, you know, and he was like, I just believe you're going to have a baby in, in your body or whatever. And I was like, you're fine to keep praying that. But like, I didn't desire that anymore. I mean, once you adopt and you see the beauty of it all, you're like, how could anything be better than this? You know, and you just see the of the gospel and all of it come full circle. But he just kept believing. And I called him and a group of people, kind of my Mark II people, because in Mark II is the story of the paralyzed man that was brought up to, to Jesus. And it's that verse that says it was by their faith that he was healed. It wasn't the paralyzed man's faith mm-hmm. that Jesus saw and said, you're healed. It was the friend's faith. And so I had really stopped praying for that or even desiring that. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people still desired that and prayed that for me and really believed that God had protected my womb, even though doctors said otherwise. Yeah. And Vera, our our middle baby, our middle child is Vera, who's the one I carried and her name means faith. And so we always say that she is, you know, our faith baby and through others faith, you know, she was brought to life. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So Vera means faith. Vera means faith. Yes. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. I want I know we're going through this so fast and I'm like, you know what, people, you just need to buy the book and like get the details because (laughs) I know that we're missing so, so much, but get the book and it's every bit as worth it. But coming up on the close, I just want, you said this at the end of your book that you invite everyone reading to pray that God would destroy our plans. (laughs) Yeah. Which I love. It's a very dangerous prayer, right? Yes. (laughs) So why would you suggest that you would pray, God, please destroy my plans? Well, I think I'm such a planner in general. And, you know, and I talk about this in my book, I had my whole life planned out and nothing has gone according to plan, but everything has been better than I would have ever planned. And so I think sometimes, especially a person like me, I want it to be exactly how I have planned and to surrender that or say, God, destroy my plans. Like that literally makes, gives me anxiety. (laughs) Like, no, God, don't destroy my plans. Keep everything as I have planned. I've already planned it out. You know, what's going to happen? And then I look at my life now and I'm like, God, thank you for not going with what I planned. His plans are so much greater and better. I mean, to think I would be 33, Mm. cancer-free, about to have a fourth child, you know, completely healthy, all the fears and things being things in the past. And I know, you know, we live in a simple world. There will be other struggles that that come up in years to come, but God's going to be with us. He's going to help us through it. Yeah. yeah you, you don't want your plans. You, you just don't. I mean, especially when you see what God can do when you surrender your plans, you're like, why would I ever want my plans? Like, okay, God, this, you say this is what I want, but overall, like God, yeah. I want what you want. And something we've said a lot is, 12 years ago or 13 years ago, if you did ask, if you would have asked us to write down our dreams, like, okay, in 15 years, what would your dream situation be? I mean, I, I, Allie's this way. I mean, obviously she had the drive to picture getting a PhD and doing all this. And then I have an entrepreneurial mind. I think I would have wrote, written down big dreams. I don't think we would have touched. I'm not being funny. I don't think what I would have written at 25 26, I don't think I would touch where we are today. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have told you, I probably would have any like crazy dreams. It would be really big. And the truth is in almost every area of our life, I would say we're ahead of whatever I think I would have written mm-hmm. every spiritually, our marriage, our children, obviously financially, our, the businesses we're in, like, I don't think I would have written it. I don't think I, I don't think I would have matched it, which is crazy to think. 
But I think when Allie says, you know, destroy my plans, like that's what, if you could only see what his version of Hmm. what he has planned for us, we wouldn't want our own plans. We would, we would realize how short or how small our mind is, how finite our mind is versus what he has planned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could hear that if people just heard that clip, it'd be like, oh, this is prosperity gospel. Y'all are doing so amazing now, blah, 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 blah. But it's like. (laughs) Well, if you read or know the horrible pain that came before that, I mean, it's not just this like brilliant life. It's both. And, no. not, and, not, and not being whatever. I mean, to give you a, a perfect example, Thursday night we're eating crawfish and I get a text from somebody I'm building a house for that we put in two houses. There's two houses side by side. We put every window in wrong. Every one of them. So yesterday... Me and three guys spend all day at another house we're building, getting it ready. So this morning on a Saturday morning, I wake up at five o'clock. My guys, I am re- have it all ready for them. At seven o'clock, we're tearing out windows that we just put in that I'll now have to pay to get put back in. So the things I would say is like, if someone actually got around us, we're as far from prosperity gospel preachers as possible. The difference is perspective. We did not quit when it was unfun. Hmm. The reality is, is, and that's why you can become so envious or, you know, you want to be 65 when you're 35 is because they have, at 65, they have perspective. They have Mm. proof that it's going to be okay. At 36, I only have 36 years of proof. That's Mm -hmm. just the reality. I don't have as much. It's harder to see it. There's not as much water under the bridge. Mm And so. Well, and when Josh says like, you know, we have more today than we ever could have dreamed for or asked for. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that like, like life is perfect. What it means is perspective. We're healthy, you know, like that trumps everything, you know, in in my mom, mind, just dealing with health, you know, it's like, how could we want anything more? Like we're all healthy and we're all here and, you know, and it's not that everything's perfect. It's just, you're given a perspective. Like when that happens, when you have a bad day and Josh has to go tear out windows, it's like, Mm -hmm okay, this is just windows. You know, you lose money on a deal. Gosh, that's horrible, but it's okay. God's Mm going to help us through it. You know, it's not that everything happens perfectly. It's just, okay, God, like we're here for it. We're trusting you again. Well, as you talked about earlier, it's like, if in your, take the worst moment we've all been in, when you found out about your shoulder, when we find out about Allie's cancer, when we find out we can't have children, if I go back to that moment and I hand you and say, okay, if you'll just believe me, this is where you're going to be at 36. You good? Would you take this deal? Like, mm-hmm. well, the is we would have taken that deal as fast as you could physically sign it. Literally as fast. I mean, like I w- we're in, and I think that's, that's what we're saying is it's not, I mean, I, we could go on and on to say how real our life is, is what I'd call it. That doesn't mean everything's easy every day, but yeah. we do have perspective that if you, fa- if you rewind 11 years, we would, easily take the deal. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious, perspective-wise, because you are still what most people would consider young. Do you think that the hardships you endured kind of multiplied that perspective a bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and it's it's those things that I think other people would be concerned with or let get them down or think are problems that we strive to not see as problems. You know, it's like, Things that used to matter don't matter anymore. And things that should have mattered matter now. You know, so it just, when you go through a hard time, hopefully, right, you're you're shaped to realize the things that truly do matter. And so it's not, someone else in our life may give you like, may come on and be like, oh gosh, they have such a hard life, the things they deal with every day, you know, but it's like, 
for us, we're like, what are our problems? And not because we don't have them, but it's like, gosh, God is so good. You know, it just changes your mindset. It's not that your situation is better. It's just your mindset shifts. My daughters will love this reference. It's like Elsa says, like, I've seen dark before. Um, oh, what song is that? I just came it's to my mind. Frozen too. Yes. Yeah. It does. <laughs> That's really stinking funny. That should um, have been your, uh, your favorite song earlier. Yes, you're right. But it is. I think that's what I would say is when you get a call about something that happens in real life, it doesn't it's not that it's I'm not excited that something costs me money or that's or that a car breaks down or whatever. The difference is and I'm obviously being funny about the Elsa piece of it, but we have seen dark like we've been in some rooms and dealt with Mm -hmm. news or fears or whatever. Like they're dark, dark, dark. So they make your window problem about nothing. Yeah. What? If someone has not been through those dark times, how could they gain that perspective? Or what would you say to them? I would argue they've been through dark times. What, what we did learn is people like, I think it's our tendency to is compare pain. Mm-hmm. Whatever the darkest version you've been through is plenty dark. Yeah. I'm not going to rate our darkness. I don't want anybody going through what we've been through. My girls are going to go through pain, but I hope I... I if ours is a 10, I don't want them to go through 10. That's what I'd say. So like, all I'd say is like, in whatever level of darkness you've been exposed to, if you cry out to God, there's your mark. Like, I don't, mm. you don't need to experience somebody else's version of darkness to be broken. Mm. Anybody you talk to is going to list you the most vicious moment in their life of pain. Well, that that's it. That's their most vicious moment. Yeah. So to think that you have to compare it. I would say I've been in different ones than even Allie. So it's not, you know, it's a, so when people come up and do that, that's what I tell them is like, cause they almost apologize to us. They say my, my situation is not near as bad as y'all's. It's not Mm -hmm. near as whatever. We only had one miscarriage. And I'm like, we didn't have a miscarriage. No, 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 don't. Mm -hmm. I I do think we almost apologize that our pain isn't enough. Yeah. No, no, no. That's plenty. Yeah, you can learn from from your pain, whatever that is, even mm-hmm. if it's not as dark when you realize you're not currently in that pain anymore. You know, it, it should, if you're intentional about it, create a place of gratefulness. You know, if anytime I find myself in a place of worry or fear or doubt or unthankfulness, it's because I've forgotten something that God has done. Mm. And I need to re-remind myself, like, Allie, do you not remember where you were or how bad things yeah. were? And it'll quickly get me back to a place of, God, I'm so sorry. Please get me back to that mindset of being saved and forgiven and set free and healed and all those things. Then my mind can get back right. So if you look back just to that dark time and what he's delivered you from and stay in that mindset, it should bring Bring about thankfulness and joy. Yeah. So good. So, so good. I, this is what I wanted to ask y'all things that were just more a conversation. And I did listen to an interview you did, but I'm like, I just want to like see their hearts. And I feel like you've definitely shared that and I'm excited, but I do always like to ask, is there anything that you want to share? Anything that's on your heart that we didn't get to, or that I did not ask you about? Oh, we got tons of stuff. (laughs) No, I think, I mean, I think you asked so many good things. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, so. I don't think I'm missing I, anything. I don't know. This may not be applicable at all, but one of the, I think in the end, some of the questions we usually get asked that I think people are kind of tiptoeing around is, mm-hmm. was there like a spiritual ace up our sleeve? Like, it, it's like we had a trick. It's like mm-hmm. y'all had, in essence, they're almost, it's almost like when you talk to somebody with money or has been successful and they at they're in essence kind of asking you surely somebody gave you a head start. Like you didn't really like what, what is it? What 
tell me your trick so I can just do your trick and know God mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think what Allie and I have said to people when we were trying to decide whether to preserve Allie's fertility or start chemotherapy or mm-hmm. double mastectomy or not, or radiation or in Monroe or Houston, or, I mean, like I could go down and down the list where not one time when we were in a room, did we close our eyes and pray and God write on a wall, Josh and Allie, here is my answer or speak out loud where other people we could click. And we looked at each other like, Oh man, good deal. We got the answer. Sometimes I think it's just work. Like in in life, when people say that to you, it's just hard work. Spiritually, I would say is like, you're just going to have to beg God and ask God. And that's where, and believe that the Holy Spirit's going to give you wisdom, a, that you can't get, but also that he would bless doctors and parents and friends and that then you would be able to hear it and kind of meet those two. I would say that's something we get at. I don't think people say it as directly. It's as if they, they're almost fishing for, y'all really didn't like hang in all this time because you just believed God was good. Like you really didn't, like y'all really didn't just stick this out to stick it out, right? And in the end, what you look at them and say is like, well, no, because I didn't have an, a 10 year plan of being in the middle of this. I had a plan for I want Allie to live today. Mm. I want this first chemotherapy when they walk in and this doctor has this massive shot and we say, what is that thing? And they say, well, sometimes when people get their first dose, it causes a reaction. And so this is what they would inject to get her okay. That was enough for that moment. I didn't need 10 more. I didn't need to like, Mm. and so all I think that's what I would say is there is no, just as in life, there's no like trick to this. There's no, I don't like calling it hard work because I don't think you talk about what I would say is you have to do the quiet work that nobody sees. Mm. Like the soul prep that nobody's going to know about. Nobody, it's not what they write books about. Mm. You're not going to be, you're not going to be asked about it. You know, you haven't asked and nobody should ask really like Josh and Allie, I want you to, I want you to tell me how many hours you put in a day since you were two years old or had some understanding of God to spiritually prepare you for this moment. In the end, that's what I would say is missed is we just believed that God was going to heal Allie when she was diagnosed. And then we believed we would have kids. We would believe now we believe God's guarding this little baby in Allie's belly. Mm-hmm. We're not thinking about the next thing that we're going to be believing God for. Is like we actually were, I think we're pretty simple in our faith of like, we just believe like God's been real good, even when it was hard. Yeah. I think that's what I, that's a long way of answering your question, but I think people, just as in everything else, people that want to get to the Olympics and swim, they want to know some trick. Well, like, mm-hmm. surely you got a trick. I could skip 15 years of development. And uh, Not like, really. No, you, you just go. Yeah, that's so good. Allie, do you have any other thoughts? Nope. Just so, well, I'll say nope. The main thing that, that came up is just that thing of not giving up, you know, mm-hmm. just keep going. And I know it's the hard, like it's what Josh said, it's the hard thing because you want to be like, what prayer did you pray? What scripture did you say over yourself? It's like, there is not some secret recipe. Like it's just not giving up, just trusting God, just praying, surrounding yourself with people that are going to uplift you and speak truth to you. Just not giving up and holding on to hope when you feel hopeless. And yeah, it's not the simple way, but it's well worth it when you just put in the hard work. Yeah. Well, the three of us can attest to that. So Yes. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for doing this. I so appreciate you and your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. And thank you for bearing with our children in the background. The little miracles in the background, of course. (laughs) So if it helps you, one of the times I walked in there, Lydia is playing with a house. Vera was doing something. 
Genevieve had, she's not supposed to mess with the remote, but she messed with the remote and she found a workout video <laughs> and she is doing, she's doing Allie's workout video. <laughs> okay. On her honey with her legs. Now get this. This is a five-year-old. She's got her feet off the ground <laughs> and is lean over touching her toes as the woman does it, like doing a crunch. Well, hey, <laughs> power to her. Yeah, there's lots of things happening in there. It was impressive. Hey, maybe we need to do these more often. <laughs> we'll get them getting some real exercise. <laughs> I couldn't even get on to her. I was half impressed. <laughs> this is brilliant. You're not supposed to touch the remote, but that's impressive. Wow. Aren't they just gems? I love their humility. I love their authenticity. And for just letting us have a small glimpse into a window of their family and their lives. I have big news for you. I did check Instagram and you can as well at Allie's Fight. Go follow them and you can see the gender reveal, but they are having a boy. So their three girls are going to have a baby brother soon. Please go follow them. Thank them for being on the show for however they've encouraged you. And I've linked all of their books in the show notes as well. So thank you for this kickoff in May and we will see you here again next week.